God is great. I pray that I pray that as we continue to grow together in the Lord, that this time of Romans would be a blessing for you and I. And this is really the truth of the matter. We need to get the good news right. Our, our text this morning is it found in Romans chapter 1. You'll be shocked that we're not again in verse 1, actually, but we'll start in verse 1 and launch all the way to verse 4. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I found as a kindred spirit, spent probably close to 20 years proclaiming Romans. I hope that we will spend the next two years in Romans in one way or another. So I, uh, I gain a lot of insight from Dr. Mar- Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, very humbled by his, his books on Romans, but we, Lord willing, will not spend 20 years in Romans. <laughs> but uh, So I, I, I love what he has to tell us about this wonderful book that we are going to celebrate together in. Uh, my joy and hope is that we plumb the depths of Romans, and the, the emphasis is the gospel of God, God's gospel. Plumb the depths. You may say, what in the world is plumbing the depths? It either sounds like juicing plums or something to do with the deep, right? Plumbing is the plumb, is the plumb line. It's to set things straight. A plumb was a thing that they would drop and to set a line to straighten out things in construction so then that way it would be held together correctly. So as we go deep into things, we need to make sure that we're straight in the things. Otherwise, it all falls apart. And that's the gospel. Without the gospel, as we look into the deep things of God, without a true understanding of the gospel, we will go off track. And so that is why Romans is so special to us as a family of God. So let's pray and ask God to bless the reading of His Word and as He teaches us through the power of His Holy Spirit as we jump into our text this morning. Lord, we ask humbly that You would provide Your wisdom. Lord, that You would help us to remove our pride. Lord, it is easy to focus on our own knowledge of things, to proclaim your truth and not to be about your understanding, to not be focused on being led by the Spirit, to focus on the truth of the word that is before us, but to be let the culture that is around us to dictate the meaning of the text. So, Lord, we humbly ask that you will set us straight, that we will Allow the gospel to straighten out the understanding of who you are and how we should be living our lives this morning. Lord, I ask humbly that you would use your word to speak and that you would, Lord, translate for the things that I make confusing through my inefficient words, but Lord, that your word would be held in honor in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning in the text, it says in verse 1, as we look at the authority of Paul, the position of Paul, who he is, and how he views himself as he proclaims to the church, as he proclaims to us the importance of the gospel. He says, Paul, a slave of Christ, called as an apostle, having been set apart For the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is born of the seed of David according to the flesh, who who was designated as the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. A powerful name. This is a beautiful song that we sang at the very beginning to kind of direct our hearts that it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that by Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, there is great power and great meaning. And we will plumb the depths of his name later on in the message. 
But the idea here is, is that Paul is proclaiming that we need to get the gospel right. He is writing to Rome, and, and if you've read through Romans, as we've been preaching the last uh, three weeks or four weeks in Romans, looking at Paul and looking who we need to be, we realize the very end of Romans, he lays out a whole bunch of names, and we realize that Paul knew a few people in Rome, and he wanted to go there to set it straight, to set the foundation of the church straight. And that the reality is, is without a good, solid foundation, the church crumbles. You know, if you thought about this in in an amazing way, Paul is sending his credentials of who he is and what he's going to be talking about and what is truly important about the message that he carries. You see, the good news that we have is important more than our talents and abilities that we have. It's not just any good news, it's the good news. Paul was proclaiming to the church, hey, I want to come and I want to be a missionary to bring the good news to the church so we can launch from there to the rest of the world. You see, if you realize, Paul really wanted to go to Spain. His His goal was to get to Spain. His goal was to go out further into the known world. In order to do that, Paul needed a base of operations. And he knew Rome was road builders. He knew that Rome was a special place. In order to get the message of the good news out, he desired desperately to get to Rome, not with just a good news, but the good news. It was important to him, and he wanted to share that to Rome. And he says, I am a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a slave to Christ. I am chained to Christ, and I'm chained to this message. That is who God has called me to be, not just to be a believer, but one called to send the good message, to be the messenger of God. He was set apart for this mission, and that's who he is, and that's what he's trying to get across to the church, is to get this good news right. And so he's defining the gospel in the end of verse 1 and through verse 4. He gives us a very definitive definition of what the gospel truly is. The preacher that I mentioned earlier, Dr. Martin Lane-Jones, he opened his sermon on this phrase of the gospel of God, the phrase that Paul has here in the end of verse 1. And he said this, "By, by stating his fear that we are often so familiar with certain words such as the gospel, we are so academic in our approach to them that we are not thrilled and moved to the depths of our being by the wonder of it all. Dr. Morning Jones says, I am so afraid that in the fact that when we see the word gospel, that we have heard it so often that we don't realize the depth of its meaning. Have you ever wondered why Romans is so long and it's about one subject? Do you realize that? Romans is so deep. Most people say that in the New Testament, they think about the deep things of God. They talk about Romans, but yet it's only about the gospel. In verses 2 through 4, he gives us the pure, simple definition of the gospel. And then he spends the rest of Romans explaining all of that aspect of the gospel. It's beautiful. The gospel is very simple. It means this. It means simply good news. In the Greek, the Greek word for gospel means good news. But do you know that what the good news or the gospel was used for? It predominantly was used by a messenger that brought news of a great battle. It was more often used to proclaim the good news of a victory, that the battle has been won. 
with the announcement of the death of an enemy or the capture of an enemy. The messenger would be running in and being paraded into town and saying, we have won. And in this case, it is the Messiah, it is Christ that is paraded in because he has defeated the enemy, the enemy of death, the enemy of sin that controls our life. We are no longer a slave to sin, but now we are a slave to Christ who has defeated death once and for all. We are not held captive in sin. We are not held captive by the entrappings of Satan. We have good news. We have great news. And yet, the term gospel does not envision this great victory, this great celebration, the tears of joy, the tears of uh, that everything is done. That like, the war is over. God has won the victory. That is what Paul is proclaiming here. That he's been set apart for the the gospel of God. He is now the messenger. I am going forth and I'm traveling as the messenger saying, it is finished. I have beheld Christ. God himself that has secured our victory. The Lord Jesus Christ. As we come to the gospel, we need to realize the the definition of the gospel, and that is this. He gives us this definition of the gospel given to us by God himself through this great messenger to us this morning. And that is simply this. The first thing we see is the exclusivity of the gospel, and that is the gospel is singular, that it is exclusive It is not a gospel. It is not just any good news. It is the ultimate good news. Paul is saying, I am not talking about a gospel, but he says, I am talking about the gospel of God. We take that word the for granted. It singles out the object This direct object, the gospel, it is the gospel. That's why Paul was so upset at the church of Galatians when he writes in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6 through 10. He says these words to the church. And he says, I am so astonished that you are so quickly deserting God who called you in the grace of Christ. And you are turning to a different gospel. That's not exclusive, is it? He says, I am shocked that you are turning from the gospel to a different gospel. Listen to what he says in verse 7. Not that there is another gospel, there isn't. Paul's saying, not that I'm saying there's another gospel, there is no other gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of God. But if even we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now we say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Do you see the exclusivity here? You guys, there are so many gospels being thrown at you as a church. Satan is trying to distort the gospel any way he can. We have talked about it over and over. The social gospel is not the gospel for so many reasons. They are trying to redefine the gospel. Anything that tries to redefine the gospel is not the gospel. The gospel is exclusive. It is owned by God. It is his gospel. No one redefines the gospel. It is God's 
That's the second point of the definition of the gospel, is the gospel is not only exclusive, it's exclusive because it belongs to God. The source of the gospel is God. The gospel comes from God. The good news is from God. It's not from any other source. The source of the gospel is not because you do good things. Now, if we love God, we will do good things. But we don't do good things to save people. That is not the gospel. The gospel belongs to God. He is the source of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and following through verse 21 says, All this, as Paul proclaims the gospel to the church in Corinth, he says this, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God has reconciled us, reconciled the world to himself. Who is doing the reconciling of our sin? Who is saving us? Who is the source of our salvation? It belongs to to God. It is not good deeds. It is not good works. We don't have to do good works to see people saved. We give them the good news. The gospel has, we, when we are impacted by the gospel, we will naturally do good things. There is no social to the gospel. There is the gospel. But it changes hearts. The social gospel just changes people's standing or clothes outside, their food. It does not change their heart. You know, if you look at this in verse 19, it says, God has reconciled the world to himself. And then he says, not counting their trespasses or their sin against them and entrusting to us the message and giving us this message of reconciliation, the good news. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, you see God? Look at what it is. It's not us. It's God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see the reality here of the source? God is the author of the gospel. God is the subject of the gospel. God is the revealer of the gospel. Don't worry, I'll give you time. I'll leave it here for a while. God is the facilitator. Did you see? It's God who reconciles the world. It is God who makes the appeal. It's God who reconciles. It's God who made Christ to take on the sin of the world. It is God who, who was a part, who, who formed the gospel, who created the gospel. It was the mind of God who brought us the gospel. The gospel has nothing to do with our good works. It is God and God alone. The people, if you look through all of church history, you'll see this aspect that all of those who have fought for the gospel fight for this sole aspect that the gospel comes solely from God. You say, well, duh, I I know that. But do you know this? Because this is under attack in the culture in which we live. Very prominent leaders even today in the evangelical world said we need to redefine the gospel according to what that will reach our culture the most. They want to let the culture define the gospel. Thirdly, we see in our text that the gospel is not new. Do you see that in verse 1 he says, 
that he was set apart for the gospel of God. And then look what he says in parentheses here. He says, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the holy scriptures. The gospel's not new. There is no new gospel. If somebody says, hey, I have a new gospel. Red flag, red flag, red flag. We need to read. Oh, I have a new insight into the gospel. Red flag, red flag, red flag. It isn't new. It's been the same from before the creation of the world. the, The gospel is not novel. It's not some new novel doctrine. This is the gospel of peace, the everlasting gospel, the gospel that changes hearts. It's the gospel that saved Abraham. It's the gospel that saved David. It's the gospel that saved our prophets. It's the gospel that the prophets proclaimed to the nation of Israel when they said you are going to be judged for your sin and put into captivity. But God is going to save you and bring you out of captivity. Just as he's going to save you out of the captivity of your sin by the Christ who is to come. It was conceived by the heart of God from all eternity. It was ordained before the world even was. It was revealed to the sons of men in promise through Abraham, by the prophets in the pictures and in the types and in the ceremonies of all the Old Testament. It was in the picture of the tabernacle. It was in the picture of the Seder meal of the Passover. I like Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heirs of all things, through whom also also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification Four sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The gospel has always been God's plan. Second Timothy, this was what Paul was trying to remind Timothy in Second Timothy 1.9 when he says this, It was Christ who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which he has given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Do you see the fact that the gospel is not new? It has always been. It has always been God's plan, his purpose, even before the creation of the world. Guys, I'm telling you, it's not hard to see through a lot of the false teaching today when we realize, when they begin to tell us what the gospel is or how the gospel should be proclaimed, when it takes us away from the gospel that has always been and always is from the source of God, from the exclusivity of who and what God has made the gospel. Now let's take a look. This parenthesis in verse 2, let's Take away verse 2 and let's just read the end of verse 1 and into verse 3. And look how Paul and how God describes the gospel. The end of verse 1, he says, it is, For I set apart for the gospel of God concerning his son who has been born of the seed of David according to the flesh, who has been designated as the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you notice something there? In the definition of the gospel, the gospel concerns Christ. The gospel that concerns Christ. The gospel is all about Christ. And that is all that the gospel is about. It's about Christ. When the gospel is away from Christ, 
it is distorted. That's what I love about that song that Marianne was playing during communion. All I have is Christ. For me, it has touched my heart. And often singing that song, it brings tears to my eyes because nothing I have, nothing I do is, is worth more than the fact that I have Christ. There is, ne- there is no meaning in the rest of this world. There is no purpose given to me by man that overshadows the fact that all I have is Christ. The gospel is all about Christ. Christ is the only true substance of the gospel. Spurgeon said this, he said, the more gospel we would preach, the more of Christ we must preach. If we want to talk about the gospel, then we need more of Christ. Without Christ, we have no gospel. There is no gospel apart from Christ. The gospel is not about baptism. It's not about morality. It's not about religious reformation and ritualism of any kind. The gospel is all about Christ. Christ is the express and solidarity and the sole subject of the gospel. Christ is the gospel. He is the whole gospel. That's a good book, by the way. If you like our study with Sinclair Ferguson, he writes a book called The Whole Gospel. If you struggle in reading it, then you can join Rob and I as we discuss it together in our struggles in reading that wonderful book. I love the struggle of it. But he is the whole gospel. Is it, only, it is the inclusivity and it's only the solid subject and sole subject of Christ. And if a man removes one step off of Christ, he departs from the sole aspect of the gospel. You have Christ, you have everything you need. If you have Christ, you will grow into everything that you need. If you have Christ, you will move away from those things that are keeping you from enjoying Christ and enjoying your Father that is in heaven. Rules and going to church and how much scripture you read and all the books in the world will not lead you to a good relationship in the Lord. It is Christ that takes you to the lap of your Father in heaven. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11 through 13. John says this to the church near where where uh, Jonathan had been in Patmos. <laughs> but John says this, and he says, And this is the record that God hath, has given us eternal life, and the, this life is in the Son. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has no life. These things that I've written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, that you will experience God in your life in the fact that you know that you are saved because of Christ. If you have Christ, you have life. If you don't have Christ, you have no life with the Father in heaven for eternity. Down in verse 20, he goes on to say, And we know that the Son of God is come and has given us understanding and that we may know that this is true and we are in him and that is true even in this, the Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Christ is the sole heartbeat of the gospel. You remove the heart of the gospel the gospel dies. It's not good news. I love what God gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach 
Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. God goes on to say in chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, of 1 Corinthians, and he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I declare to know nothing among you except that Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not about how good of a speaker I am. It's not about, I don't want to know how good you are. I just want to know that you know Christ. If you you know Christ, you know everything you need to know the Lord. And the fact that the gospel is all about Christ, it must include his humanity. That God came in the flesh, that Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived among us, walked as a man, but perfect like no other. Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 14 through the end, God says this about Christ. It says in verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, that came out of the heavens, From God, he said, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Draw near to the throne and receive what we don't deserve. God's love, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifice for sins. He cannot deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with sinful weakness. Because of this, he is obliged to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Hey, priests that are, that are set by men are men. They themselves sinful. They are sinful priests. They are obliged to offer their own sacrifice for their sins. Verse 4, he goes on to say of chapter 5, he says, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Verse 5, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to God who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest and through the order of Melchizedek. God is our only high priest because he is not only came in the flesh, but he is God, one the same. When the Bible says that he, that Christ was made, it literally means to become, not to be made out of nothing into something, but that he became Jesus, became in the flesh. Jesus is God, yet he became or was came in the appearance of a man so that he might live among us and so he could then die once and for all for us. He suffered as we suffer. He bled as we bled. Therefore, since he was a man, he lived as a man. He is more than qualified to aid in our times of difficulty. Better than any other religious person that man can make up and believe. For this, we need to look at Philippians that much closer. Philippians chapter 2, if you want to, you can turn there. As we look at some, this passage, 
which some people have so much difficulty with, but I hope I can help you to understand it a little bit more. It must be in his humanity, and it must include his deity. The gospel is all about Christ, which must include that he is 100% man and must include that he is 100% God. And let me read this and hopefully help you to understand this. In Philippians chapter, I'm going to turn to it because I started to quote it and I will mess it up. But in Philippians chapter 5 and through verse 8, he says, or 4 in verse 5 through 8, he says, Let your uh, considerate spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Or that's, I'm sorry, I'm in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8. There we go. I turned too fast. I thought I was in 2. And I said 4. But Philippians 2 verses 5, he says, Have this way of thinking in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this mind or this attitude of Christ, who though he existed in the form of God. Now, underline form there, or in the appearance of, he by taking the form of God or existing in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but emptying himself by taking the form of a slave. Form, same verb, same word. Right? As of a slave or a servant by being made in the likeness of men. Likeness is important. And being found, found is important. Being found in the appearance, appearance is important. As a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, which is also important, but not to who Christ is. But being obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross, therefore God highly exalted him. Because his name is above all names. Now let me back this up. There are several words here. Form is one of them. In verse 6, the Bible says that Jesus was in the form of God. The word refers to the very essence of his being. One could not be in the form of God and not be God. Right? It's talking about he was found to have the very essence of God. For God is a spirit. Jesus was in the very essence of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 tells us it's the exact same thing. However, when we move to verse 7, it says that Jesus took upon himself the form of a slave or the form of a servant. The very same word. Jesus became, in a very essence, a servant. However, it is worthy to note that the word being, in verse 6, this verb is in the present participle. It means that, and you say, well, I didn't come for an English lesson. But it's very important because it means that Jesus continued. He didn't stop being in the form of God, in verse 6. Being in the form of God, that means he, he is the exact essence of God, and he never stopped being that when it goes to verse 7, and he says that he, became, that he became, or that he continued, and he was found to become the form of a servant. That is, he became a man in every way. He was also remained God. He was literally God in man. He had two forms in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 7, the word likeness is used. The word, the word means resemblance. While Jesus remained God inwardly, outwardly, he had every attribute as a human. He cut him, he bled. He experienced pain. He suffered. He knew what happiness and joy was. He knew what peace and sadness is. He had every attribute of, a, of humanity except for one, and that was a sinful nature. Look at verse 8. This verse tells us that Jesus was found in the fashion of mankind. The word refers to his physical form. He was physically a man. He wasn't just some spirit walking above the ground so that way he could be spirit or be God. They say, well, God was spirit, so Jesus was spirit. He wasn't really man. 
That is not true. That's a crazy theory back in the, back in the early church. Some were, but that's not it. The word refers to his physical form. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ was very real man. The conclusion of all this is very easy to reach, that Jesus Christ is God and is man. It's important we can't have the gospel without his deity and his humanity. You leave out his humanity, you don't have the gospel. You leave out the deity of Christ, you don't have the gospel. And Paul gives us two illustrations of his humanity and his, actually to his deity. He says in, in our text in Romans, he says, concerning the son who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. He was born according to the prophecy, according to David, to the line of David. You can trace Jesus' birth and his lineage all the way back to David, just as it was prophesied. And then look at verse 4, who was designated as the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. You can see his heavenly credentials. He was righteous. He was righteous. He was born in the power of God. He was in the Spirit of God. Verse uh, 21 of 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. Hebrews 7.26 For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our righteousness. Without his humanity, without his deity, we don't have righteousness. We don't have a savior. We don't have a payment of a shed blood for our sin. His resurrection is so important. Without his resurrection, we do not have the gospel. The gospel must involve his resurrection. You know what's interesting? Did you know that Jesus proclaimed his resurrection? Did you know that he proclaimed that he would raise himself? John chapter 10, verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it back up again. No one takes it, my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the sole authority to lay it down, and I have the sole authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father or this ability I've received from my Father. Jesus proclaimed that he would raise himself. Did you know something else? Did you know that it also tells us in Acts 13, in verse 29 through 30, that it it proclaims that God will raise Christ? In verse 29, it says, And when they had carried out, the apostles were talking about what happened to Christ after, when he died for our sins. He says, And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Christ proclaimed that he was going to raise himself from the dead. God said he would raise Christ from the dead. And do you see here that in verse 4 of our text, it says, Who was designed, designated as the Son of God in power according to to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead? By the, this is a Hebrewism when he says by the spirit of holiness. It literally means by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God. He's proclaiming in this passage that it was through the Spirit that Christ rose from the dead. You know, the, the, the gospel involves the whole trinity. You remove Christ, you remove the gospel. You remove the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, you remove the gospel. You remove God as the source of the gospel, you remove the gospel. There is no gospel. All three persons of the Trinity were active in the resurrection of Christ. Lastly, this morning, the gospel is all about his name. Paul ends the definition of the gospel in in this when he says that is according to this purpose, the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead, the very own Jesus Christ our Lord. 
and it stopped working on me. Just do all three. He is Jesus. Jesus means his saving name. Jesus is his human name, his title, his title that was given to him in humiliation and the fact that he became man. Jesus is his very human name. It's by the name that we are saved. It's his human name that saves us. Acts chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, it says this, This Jesus is the stone that, the, that you rejected. The, build, the builders that have rejected this that have become the cornerstone of our salvation. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. Christ is his strong name. It's his sovereign name. It is Christ is the name that proclaims that he is strong. It means the anointed one, literally. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. This is his official title. It is portrayed by the prophets in Deuteronomy 18. It's proclaimed by the priests. It's proclaimed by, the, by David and, and all the psalmists in, in the Psalms. It's proclaimed by Christ, that he is the Christ. It's his strong name. It's his name of power. And he is Lord. Lord means that he is the sovereign one, the one that is above all. The name that... God says that he is, his name is exalted above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow because he is the Lord of lords. He is God. Right? Philippians 2, verse 10, verse 11, Paul declares to the church, God declares to us that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is to be honored. He is to be feared. He is to be obeyed. He is to be served. Christ is Lord. As we close, I want to leave you with this statement. It's been adapted by one of Steve Lawson's messages. It says, Jesus Christ had to be truly God, truly man, in order to be our mediator. A mediator stands between two parties who has, who has been falling, had a falling out. In order to make peace between two offending sides, these two parties are at enmity. They're at war with one another. Or worse, they, in the fact that they are at war. In order to make reconciliation, a mediator had to... Be equal to both sides. To, have an, to do arbitration, to stand between both, they had to have equal say. There can be no partiality between either side. Jesus had to be truly God if he was to represent God to us. He had to be truly man if he was to represent us before God. No one else could ever stand between God and the human race. Meditate and meditate, mediate reconciliation between the two separate parties. No one could have paid and set apart the righteous anger of God towards us. No one could have redeemed us out of the slave market of sin. No one could have truly, who could truly be God and truly be man. There is no one but the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. This is God's definition of the gospel found here in our text. It sets straight so many philosophies that are running rampant over the church today. If you want to know if somebody is a false teacher, listen to their gospel. Is it the gospel that comes from God? Is it the gospel that proclaims only Christ? Is it the gospel that proclaims God as man, or that Christ as man, and, and Christ as God? 
If you have Christ, you have everything. It is the gospel. If you have Christ, you have everything you need. Let's pray. Lord, I am so humbled by the gospel. I am nothing in the view of this picture of the gospel. My journey has no meaning. There is no purpose outside of this very gospel. Lord, may this be the level, the plumb line, the tool that helps us construct everything in our life as we come to know you and the power of your resurrection. May it be about you. May we come to you humbly and recognize that we need you. May we respond to this call through the gospel as you portrayed Christ through the world running ahead and saying that you defeated the enemy. You satisfied your wrath for the payment of our sin. You defeated death. You paid for our sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's good news in Christ. He is all that we need. Would we respond to that call and come to you and say, Lord, I need you. Save me from that war that is going on in my life that separates me from you. Lord, would you conquer my sin and forgive me and save me and be my Savior. Lord, may we humbly do that. If anyone here has not come to you and responded to this call and realized who Jesus really is, that they would do this this morning as we sing and as we pray that they would respond to the Holy Spirit's call to them this morning, that they need you. It's not about being religious. It's not about being having a bunch of rules to follow. It's about who we know. The power comes from Christ and Christ alone. He is all we need. May they come to you today. May we as a church family that have responded to you and given our life as a, as a living sacrifice and laid our life down and picked up the resurrection of Christ to be the power of our life, to be our life for us through the power of his resurrection, that we also have resurrection from our sin. May we realize that is all we need in our life, and may we live that way day to day, as all we need is Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.